Don't we have a good, good father? Yeah. You know, I think of it, sometimes our earthly fathers didn't pan out quite like we would have expected, but our heavenly father does. And uh, we should always be aware of that. I was going to start a, a series and talk preparing our minds and our hearts for Easter uh, with the idea of the superiority of Jesus Christ and how superior he is to all things. Um, but with the virus, the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, I decided to just slip back and deal with the issue at hand today. It's something that's on the mind of a lot of people. And so I want to talk about how we need to respond to it as Christians. What should be our action? What should be our attitude? And I hope it's beneficial for you. I look around our world today, and I am not opposed to you know, the closing of a lot of things that are happening and being careful and being wise in terms of, of what the government and different individuals are doing in the private sector. Uh, I think we need to be, be prudent. We need to be uh, aware of things going on. But all on, uh, going along with that, I look at our culture and the stockpiling and the, the purchases. I have not gone to the stores. My granddaughter works at Safeway over here um, on Brentwood Boulevard, uh, second and long lines yesterday and people just buying everything you know you go in stores and the shelves are are empty and uh, did all of you get out and get your toilet paper you know that's a, a big one I haven't figured that one out but uh, I, I was listening to uh, one of the major manufacturing companies and they've increased their manufacturing by about 30 percent because they're selling out of toilet paper and they don't have enough Franklin Delano Roosevelt made a statement. He said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And I would tend to believe with him. Uh, in the world today, we certainly see a lot of anxiety uh, about this disease, uh, uh, fear among the populace, the people that are living. Uh, in a way, the coronavirus has, has paralyzed the world. We don't have planes going back from Europe to the United States or other places around America or around uh, the world, and we've just kind of shut down in a lot of ways. Um, there's nothing wrong with having surplus supplies at home, you know, for the people stockpiling. I, I don't have a, a, a real problem with buying some hectares. Usually you want to have those if you have a major storm coming and you're going to be shut in or... Uh, there's a hurricane or tornado or an earthquake around here. Um, it's a good idea to have some things put away. But uh, with a virus like this, it, it wouldn't seem to me to be a necessity to have all of those things uh, put away. Uh, you can get sick, but you can still get out and get the necessities. I, I thought about it. My, my, daughter, my granddaughter yesterday, she lives with us. And she said her job yesterday was to fill orders for people who wanted their food delivered to home, Grubhub type of thing, uh, where they get deliveries brought in. And uh, she was busy all day long just filling these orders because people didn't want to come out and buy. They didn't want to stand in line. You go to a line and I thought about it. seems just ridiculous to, to go to Costco to buy a case of toilet paper and stand in line for an hour and a half before you can pay for it. And that's kind of what's happening uh, but she was filling these orders, and people want, don't want to go out. They don't want to be infected, but you are having someone else go and pull 
items off the shelves that may already have been touched by someone who is infected or the person pulling them off may be infected or the cashier may be or the person that drives up and they, if you have them then bring it into your house and set it on your cabinets or wherever you want to have it. And I thought, you know, we, we are kind of responding in an irrational manner. I listened to one person on the radio yesterday and she is an expert on putting things away and preparing for disaster. And one thing she said is, when you buy, so I'll give you this idea. When you buy things for a disaster, buy stuff you like. Don't buy things you don't want to eat. She said she went into one home and she was looking at all these canned goods and she saw a number of cans of beef stew. And she looked at the lady and she said, do you really like beef stew that's canned? And the lady oh, no. So why do you have it? it? It's irrational buying. She thought it was good. Well, let me, let me just give us a little perspective in terms of, of this disease. I went online and, and I looked some things up. In 2009-2010, we date, dealt with the H1N1 uh, virus, the swine flu. And it was, it was devastating in many ways. But let me just give you some st- specific statistics to bring it into to line with what it says. There were, at that time, 27,000 cases in the United States. That's not very many when you begin to think of the enormity of our population. Between four to 6,000 deaths is what I read. And um, you begin to think of how big Brentwood is. That, that's a whole lot less than what we have in our own population. 2010, I looked it up, there were 33,000 deaths in car accidents. And it said 37 deaths to drug overdoses. That gives you an idea of... of what's happening and yet you and I as we get up in the morning we go out to our cars we hop in and we drive down the road you're much more likely to die in a car accident than you will from the flu or from one of these viruses it's it's just bringing it into perspective it's it's not so overwhelming the covid virus covid-19 as of friday california had 247 cases there were actually last night 25 cases in contra costa county as of Friday in California, there were five deaths and uh, six people had recovered. The recovery time seems to be uh, slow. I, I don't know why. I don't know what the issue is, but that was what I read. In the U.S., there were only 2,068 cases with 48 deaths and 41 recovered. Across the world, including all of the nations, there were 145,496 cases of this virus 5,417 deaths and 71,195 people had recovered. And when you begin to think of our population, it's fairly small. Not huge. And yet uh, there is a great fear for a lot of people even to go outside or go any place for fear they may con- contract this disease. I, uh, I looked at the uh, some statistics from China and from... South Korea. Uh, In China, there were 72,314 cases as of February 17th. China is, I don't know, what's the population there, but it's huge. 
72,000 cases. Now, here is the, uh, the rate, fatality rate, based on people that contracted it. For those 80 and over, the fatality rate is about 15%, 14.8%, which is fairly high. And so there is a real concern for people that may be a little older. That's, we should be concerned about that. People 70 to 79 years old, uh, 8% fatality rate dropping down as they get younger, 60 to 69, 3.6% fatality rate. From 50 to 59, 1.3. And from 40 to 49, it's 0.4. It's not even a half a percent in terms of the fatality rate. 30 to 39, it's 0.2. In 20 to 29, 0.2. 10 to 19, it's 0.2. In other words, you really don't see anybody dying in those age ranges. And from zero to nine, there were no fatalities in China. You know what that basically says? There weren't any fatalities after about 50 years of age. And yet there's such a fear. Um, I, I checked it out for COVID deaths in South Korea because it's, it's extensive there at this point. In South Korea, 80, people 80 and over, uh, the death rate would be about 8%. For 70 to 79%, it's about 5%. It's coming down when they go from 70 to 79. 60 to 69, it's 1.4. And then 50 to 59, it's, it's a half a percent. It's 0.4. 40 to 49, 0.9. 30 to 39, 0.12, and under 30, there are absolutely no deaths. That tells us that if, if we are anxious for our younger people, it doesn't seem to be a virus that attacks younger people in the same way it attacks older people. And that means certainly we need to be careful as we're getting a little older. If we're younger, we need to make sure we don't get it so that we give it to somebody else. But I, I read the... Uh, well, I listened to a, a video of a woman who had been sick up in Washington, and she said she got it. They didn't realize that they had it, and she didn't feel good. She went to the doctor. The doctor wasn't sure, thought maybe she had the flu. They take a, took a swab to test her for the flu and uh, found out she had COVID-19. And she says, I just want to encourage you. She said, I had a fever about 101, it spiked up to 103, and then it went down. She said, I was achy, I had a headache, I didn't feel good, but it was not something that was overwhelming any more than most flus that I had had. And so we need to, to have a perspective on what we're dealing with. Uh, there's so much being said and so much being done that I think we live in a society that has picked up what they're hearing and what they're seeing and all the closures and there's an extreme fear, and we tend to isolate ourselves. And when you isolate yourselves, it becomes worse. It just, it's, it's accentuated in your mind of how bad it is. And we need to stop and come back and say, okay, who's in charge here? And who's the one that makes a difference? And who's the one that's going to protect us? I want to just look at three words this morning. I, I, when I look at the perspective, we need to understand that, yes, it is a disease. Yes, it will have an effect on people. Yes, it can be a problem. And we need to be careful that we don't get it. We need to be careful that we aren't carrying it to other people. But we don't have to 
live in fear. So I want to give you three words. This is a little different message, but I'm going to give you three words. Number one is fear. We're going to deal with what does the Bible say about fear. Number two is faith. What does the Bible teach us about our faith? And then number three has to do with courage, and courage is responding to whatever God wants us to do out of faith in him. And so when I look at fear, fear can be taken in two ways. You know, I believe fear is, an, is a, and we'll look at some scriptures in a minute, which can be kind of a Bible study. But when I look at fear, it's an emotion that God gave to each and every one of us. It is uh, an emotion that preserves us. It's, it's for personal preservation. Uh, it, it's the idea that I don't climb up on a 10-story building and go, oh, I think I'll jump off, see how I fly. No, my fear says this isn't a good idea. Or, uh, you know, fear is that if somebody has the flu, I'm probably not going to go over and sit with them and hold their hand uh, because I may get that flu, and I don't want to do that. And so fear is is for natural preservation. It is positive, uh, but it's also negative. And the problem with fear when it's negative is that it paralyzes us emotionally. Uh, we, we should act and we don't act, or we act irrationally. We just don't think through it. We, uh, we don't come up with the best plan. It's like people that are out there and, and they're stockpiling. Uh, they, they used a term for it when they were talking about it, and it's the idea that they are, they're irrationally purchasing things they don't need, such as the guy that went into Costco and bought 12 cases of toilet paper, and now they limit you to getting one or two because there are too many of them going out. Uh, it causes us to do things we would not do. I, I like that quote. I mentioned it earlier. FDR said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And, um, you know, I, I thought about that, and I've had people come to me, and they'll talk about fears that they have. And uh, they come back. And they go to bed, and they can't sleep. And they have anxiety. And, you know, a lot of times, the first time they have anxiety, there's a real reason for it. But about the next time they're worrying about it, it's, what if I have an anxiety attack again? And they begin to build that up in their mind and up in their mind, and they in time have an anxiety attack because they've really just kept thinking about it. It's, it's the fear of the fear. And a lot of what goes on with us is fear of fear. And the, the passage I read just a moment or I quoted a moment ago was from Isaiah 41.10, and it says, and the Bible is talking... Uh, they were to the Israelites, but certainly the principle would hold true for us where it says, do not fear. That's God's command. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. He says, I will strengthen you. You have a problem? I'll strengthen you. He says, surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If we go back in, in Isaiah to chapter 4, 40, it's, it's one of my favorite passages. If you go in my office, you're going to see eagles on the wall. And uh, I remember, I, I've mentioned this before, I had a person who saw my eagles and thought I was patriotic, and they began to bring me eagles with flags. That's not the idea. That's not what I'm looking about. I'm looking at the strength that God gives us. And uh, beginning in Isaiah 40, in the 
28 through the 31st verses, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. In, in other words, if, if you've got a struggle, God's there. He's awake. He hears you. He understands. His understanding is inscrutable. He understands everything you're going through. He understands what's going on across the world today. He understands everything about the COVID virus and how it affects people. He gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks, to him who lacks might, he increases power. It says, though youths grow weary and tired, and they do. Vigorous young men stumble badly. They're worn out. And yet those who wait on the Lord, they will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint because it is God who gives us the strength to deal with whatever we're dealing with. And I don't know what you fear today. This has, may have nothing to do at all with COVID-19 virus. You may have anxiety about certain issues of your life. You may struggle with how your kids are going to do, uh, whether you're raising them properly or not, how things are going in your marriage, how things are going at work, or whether you're going to get sick or your kids are going to get sick or your family can get ill. And boy, we can be paralyzed with those fears. But the issue is to realize that we have a God who says, I will be there with you. I will strengthen you. I will... Surely help you. I will uphold you. And I would encourage you, if you have not memorized that verse, go home today and memorize it. Isaiah 41.10. You want to hold on to that and go back to Isaiah 40 in those last few verses and, and just realize the promises that God has given to us because we don't have to live with that kind of irrational fear. The second word is faith. And I just kind of identified that as placing my trust in something greater than myself. Greater than my fears. Trust in a person who has promised to care for me. The great passage on faith is found back in Hebrews chapter 11. And in the uh, first verse and then the sixth verse, it, it gives us a picture of what our faith is to be like. It says, faith is the assurance, the reality, I guess we could say, of things hoped for, of of the things you believe are going to happen. It, it, it's what God promises. They're the conviction of things not seen. In other words, it hasn't happened or I don't understand what's going to happen, but I place my faith in God because I know he's promised to take care of me through whatever circumstances. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because God's with me. And so it doesn't matter what you're dealing with, with your family or your work or with a virus, God's there. And it says without faith, verse 6, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's the rewarder of those who seek him. I, I like the story of Jesus back in Mark chapter 4. Uh, Mark chapter 4, Jesus had gone out with his disciples. He was tired. He was worn out. He'd gone into the back of the bottom of the ship and was taking a, a nap. And as often would happen across the Sea of Galilee, the winds would come down off of the 
high plateau and they would hit the sea and there would be a storm that would raise up just like that. And the disciples were in one of those storms. They were frightened. They were concerned because they didn't seem to be able to handle the ship or the boat. And when they realized that they might be sinking, they went to Jesus. Listen to verse 38. You know, we go to Jesus too late. You ever figured that out? They should have gone early. Hey, Lord, we've got a problem here. Can you help out? Uh, We should go early when it comes to things like this virus. Verse 38, it says, Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, do you not care that we're perishing? Isn't it a concern for you that we're going down with a ship? Isn't it a concern for you that we have this virus that seems to be overwhelming us? I I heard on the radio some man I was driving home last night, and the president has declared a state of emergency across the nation so he can distribute funds without having to go through all the red tape. And the individual said he should have done it four weeks or six weeks ago. Guess what? There weren't any illnesses then. You know, we couldn't know that. You don't do that until you at least have some kind of an emergency. But you go to him early. Jesus was in the stern of the ship. He was asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. Turned to his disciples, and he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Is he the same Lord today that he was in the first century? Yeah. What is the remedy to our fears? According to the Bible, it's faith. Not faith in just anything. It's faith in the one who's greater than our problem, who's greater than us, and who can take care of the issue for us, and that's God. And when we put our faith and trust in God, God can eliminate the fear that we struggle with And hopefully we can make wise decisions in how to deal with life. But it begins with moving from fear to faith. And then we move from faith to courage. I just wrote it down. This is our third word, courage. A person of courage acts in spite of his or her fears. You have those fears, they're there, but you act in spite of them. The fear is not there But if the fear is there, it's not to be allowed to immobilize us or paralyze us. Um, And so it's best if, due to our relationship with God, we no longer struggle with the fear. I want to go back to the book of Joshua. And let me just uh, share a little bit about Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. And if you remember Joshua at all, you'll remember that he was... uh, Born into slavery. He was under the control of the Egyptians and was a slave in Egypt. He grew up there. And then when God delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians, 
Uh, Joshua kind of became Moses' second-hand man. Aaron was on the religious side, but Joshua was over here on the military side. Joshua would go out and he'd lead the armies. And, and so he was with Moses. When Moses went up on the, on the mountain to see God, Joshua went up partway with him and waited with him. And so he had this relationship. But when they went in, they were coming up to this land that God had promised them. And God said, I'm going to give you this great land. It's a wonderful land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And for some reason, even though God had said, I'm going to give it to you, they decided to send in 12 spies. We want to check this land out. We want to see what it's like. We want to see what the enemy will be like. They went in, one from each tribe of Israel. Joshua was with them. A man by the name of Caleb was with them. And they spied it out, and they came back, all 12, and they said, it's a beautiful land. It's everything God said it was. Oh, but, and here's where the fear came in. The cities are well manned, they're huge, they're strong, and there's giants in the land. And there's no way we as the Israelites coming out of Egypt can begin to compete with those people. We'll, we'll be destroyed. That's kind of my paraphrase. And so they didn't go in, and you remember the story of how because of the negative report, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Ten of those slaves died, or those spies died. Joshua was still alive, and Caleb was alive. They were the ones that came out with a positive report. Everybody else died of that generation. Now God comes to Joshua, and he says, Joshua, I want you to lead my people into the land I promised them. Well, Think about this. Forty years, Joshua has been thinking of those cities. He's been thinking of the giants. And I think it would be very easy for Joshua to be overwhelmed by his fears. And possibly he had some because when God came to him in Joshua chapter 1, and we go down to the seventh verse and then the ninth verse, God is imploring him, he's encouraging him, and he says, only be strong and courageous, Joshua. You're going to lead the people, but you've got to be strong and courageous. Be careful to do all according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Be faithful, be obedient, so that you may have success for wherever you go, Joshua. It's not talking about making money. It's talking about Israel taking the land. But he says you've got to be strong and you've got to be courageous. You've got to have faith. We drop down to verse 9. He says it again. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble, but do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's interesting that in between those two verses where he encourages Joshua to be strong and courageous, he slips verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Joshua, you're going to be reading it. You're going to be talking about it. You shall meditate on it day and night. You shall chew it over and over and over again. You're going to think about it so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then, Joshua, you will have success. I really believe, based on Joshua's past, it would have been very easy for him to respond in fear. You know, everything he'd seen, everything he'd experienced, the last 40 years, 
would lead him to be an individual that would be a person of fear. But rather than that, opening the word of God, the law that Moses had given to him, he had faith in God, and God said, if you have faith, then you react with courage. And that means that whatever God calls us to do, we need to react courageously. But it's because it comes out of our faith. It isn't just blind courage. I think a lot of people jump out to do things, and they do it for all the wrong reasons, and they get in trouble. But courage comes as a result of our faith. We've been doing a study on Thursday night, a a men's study on stepping up. And the one thing it said about men is that men need to be courageous. They need to step up at courage to protect their families, to live as God wants them to, to be the kind of guys God wants them to be. We need to be courageous. And so rather than letting fear paralyze us, by faith in one greater than ourselves, we can move courageously. And I believe that really pertains to what we're dealing with here today. You know, we see circumstances like that all the way through Scripture. You, you know the story of David and Goliath. All you have to do is watch a sporting event, and it comes up somewhere along the line. They talk about a David and Goliath event, and they really don't understand it very well, but they like to use that. But David, his brothers were fighting a war. They were soldiers with the Israeli army, and they were fighting the Philistines who had invaded Israel. And uh, David was a shepherd boy, and his dad said, I want you to take supplies up to your brothers. And so he took the supplies. He went up there, and he ran out to the battle lines because the Philistines were on this side of a great valley, and the Israelites were on this side. And he was excited. Wow, this is great. And all of a sudden, this giant who had been coming out for the last month, name's Goliath, and he came out and he challenged them. And here were the Israelites, and immediately when they heard him and he challenged them to send out a warrior, they fell back in fear. And David couldn't understand it. There was this little shepherd boy. Why are you allowing one soldier, no matter how big he is, to paralyze you with fear. Why aren't you protecting the nation? How can this uncircumcised Philistine do this? He's mocking the armies of our God. News came to his brother, and his brother said, David, go away, you're embarrassing me. David continued to talk, and he was called before King Saul, and he said, I'll go out and take care of him for you. And Saul said, oh, you can't do that. He's a, he's a veteran, and you're nothing. And David says, oh, no, that's not true. I'm just not afraid of him. You see, I have a a God who has protected me when I'm taking care of my sheep. And when the lion and the bear came, he gave me victory over the lion and the bear. And if he can give me victory over a lion and a bear, and it's the same God, he can certainly give me victory over Goliath. And so he went down with his sling. And when the giant came towards him, mocking him, he picked up a stone. He had the stones, five of them, and it says he ran to the battle. Courageously, he ran to a battle that he should have lost. By the way, everyone would have thought about it, and he defeated the giant. Why could he do it? Because of faith and response and courage. And not allowing fear to control him. We allow 
our fear to control us too often. Another person is Daniel. We see it. You go through scripture and you see it time and time again. There was a law passed. Daniel was in Babylon. There was a law passed that they could not pray for 30 days to any god, but their emperor, their king. Daniel realized that (laughs) though that's the command of the government, my greater command is by God to go and worship. And so he would go three times a day and he would kneel down and he would pray towards Jerusalem. They took him. And he allowed them to take him, and he went down and was cast into a lion's den. Kind of frightening, isn't it? Lions have big teeth, big claws, kind of frightening. These guys are probably hungry. They haven't fed them. And there's Daniel there, and the next morning the king ran down, and he's crying into the den. Daniel, Daniel, are you okay? And Daniel said, sure. God sent an angel down to hold their mouth shut. I had faith, and I responded in courage. And he was taken out. That's where we need to be. We need to be individuals, not caught up with our fear, but rather be courageous. Let me just give you some practical things. We're a little past my time, but I want to give you some application for for what we're going through. Uh, Number one, act wisely and and courageously in faith, not, not irrationally and not out of fear. And I would just say again today, even forgetting our, our COVID virus, what causes you to be afraid? What do you fear? We probably all have something that we could name. And yet the key is not to let fear paralyze us, but rather realizing we have a great God, we respond in courage based on our faith in him. Act wisely. In terms of the COVID-19, if you fit into the critical categories, somewhere between 65, 60, 65 and over, uh, you've got a compromised immunity system, respiratory problems. You know, avoid situations where you're going to be affected. I think that's just natural. That's just a wise thing to do. They, they say that. I agree with you. If you have family members at home, don't put yourself in a position that have those problems. Don't put yourself in a position to take it home. We're just talking about wisdom. If you're sick, stay home. Don't go out and infect other people. And it's not just the COVID virus. It's anything. It's a respect for others. If your nose is running and you're coughing and you've got a problem, don't put others at risk. And uh, I, I put this one in. Uh, don't physically touch people, not in your family, that aren't part of your family or at home with you. Uh, you may not be concerned about hugs and handshakes and you would say, oh, I'm, not, I'm not afraid, it's okay. That's okay. I understand that. I, I'm not afraid I'll shake your hands if you want to shake hands or give me a hug, I'll give you a hug, whatever. I'm, I'm real careful about hugs because I, never, I didn't grow up with those, but my wife taught me it's okay. And uh, so, you know, you can do that, but respect the other person. In um, Romans 8, it talks about those who were strong and could meet meat offered to idols and those who were weak and couldn't. And so what Paul said, and, and the meat offered to idols, there was nothing wrong with it. It was great meat, but there were those who had been idolaters, and it brought them back to thinking about where they had come from. And so Paul said, if you're strong and you can eat it, that's good, but don't flaunt it. And don't cause it to be a problem for someone who can't. 
And I would say the same thing is true of our handshakes and our touching today. If there are those that it's going to be a problem for, don't try and make them do that. I, I was out here the other day. I was eating uh, my Taco Bell in the, uh, in the driveway, and somebody drove up. I didn't know who he was. turned out he was a pastor. He was, he was saying that there are grants that churches could get, and I really didn't, wasn't looking for one. And uh, the first thing he did is he drove up, and he says, My name is... I shook his hand. About halfway through, uh, we said something, and his hand shook it again. You know, and it's respectful to take their hand. It just shows respect and acceptance, and so I took his hand again. Uh, before he left, I said, now, what was your name? He gave me his name, and he shook my hand again. I got in the car, and as I'm eating my taco and putting my hand up to my mouth, I said, that was kind of strange, considering where we are. We're not supposed to touch like that. So I thought, you know, it's okay. I'm not fearful but in our church and in our relationships, you know, don't put people at ill at ease. I think that's a good thing. Church, here's the thing that goes away with it. If you fall into those critical areas, uh, you're a little older. I don't want to call people old because that's not where we are. But if we're a little older, uh, you know, I encourage you to stay home. Don't put yourself at risk. Don't feel you have to come. If you have people in your home that are at risk, feel free to stay home. We as a church will be open as long as we fit the requirements of our governing authorities. We place ourselves under them, but if size-wise, and we certainly meet it this morning, uh, but if, if you're a little anxious about it, stay home. I, I don't care what position you hold, you know, let me know. If, if it's somebody working on the sound system, we can function without a sound system. If it's somebody that greets at the door and you're concerned about it, we'll have somebody else greet or we just won't have a greeter. Um, if you're an usher, you work with our fellowship team, those are fine. If you're a teacher in our Sunday school classes or a nursery worker, it's okay. You can stay home if that is, is a concern. I, I would expect people should do that. Be wise, though. Don't just act out of fear. But if you want to stay home, you can stay home. If you work with our youth, you can stay home. All the way up to our youth pastor. Nobody's exempt. If there are people that feel uncomfortable, then you should be able to stay home. We're, uh, we've got a camera right there. And by next week, I hope we're live streaming. We aren't quite as quick as some of the other churches, but it'll be there. If you're home, you can do that. You know what I suggest if you're at home and you're not going to come? Maybe maybe meet with two or three other families. And you're a sm if you're in a small group, meet with them. You know, the Bible says, don't forsake your assembling together. I really believe that because we are to come together to encourage one another. If you come to Sunday morning and you get a good service, that's a blessing. That's a, that's a benefit on top of what we should get because of our, other than our relationships with one another. And so uh, feel comfortable with that. It doesn't matter where you work or where you serve. If, if you don't feel comfortable in coming, let me know. And we will function. We'll focus things around to where it works. Uh, we should be online next week, I believe, on Facebook Live. So be aware of that. Um, people from other churches, you're welcome.
We love to have you. But I would also say if you're in a small group and you get together and you want to worship with your own church, by all means do that in your homes. Uh, the major churches around here are live streaming right now. And uh, I don't think you have to worship alone. I think you get together with some other people. If, we, if we're afraid to get together with other people, it's letting fear drive us. And we shouldn't do that. And each of us, uh, one other thing I'm going to suggest is that you call people. You uh, let them know that you're concerned about them, that they're important to you, and, and you want them to know how important they are. I uh, called Ron Cunningham last night. Uh, one of our ladies called and said, my daughter said I shouldn't go, and I said, you're right, I agree. She's older. Uh, Ron Cunningham is, deals with respiratory issues. He's older. And his doctor called him this week and said, you need to stay in. Don't go anyplace. Don't shop. Don't do anything. Don't go to a restaurant for four weeks. Ron's going to go through, you know, just sitting at home and nothing there and nobody talking to him. It's going to be hard. And so I'm going to ask you, for people in our church that aren't here, please call them. Let them know you're thinking about them. Pray for them. Ask if they need anything. Uh, We as a church should be a family that ministers to one another. And you know the individuals who aren't here and won't be here and can't be here. And so I encourage you to do that. I will make a commitment. Joshua, when he closed that great book, we were looking at Joshua. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my wife, we, we probably, we'd already planned this. We're supposed to go up and see my brother, uh, there's some health issues with my sister-in-law, and we're supposed to go up there this next week because Darlene's off. We're going to have to schedule our, our trip around some of the things going on here. We will still go, not this coming week, but the next one if we need to, uh, because we need to go see them. That's, that's part of that family issue. But um, I will make you a commitment. As for me and my wife... As long as they allow us to open the church, we will be here. That's our commitment. I fit that upper age category. I have a questionable immune system. I have some respiratory things based on uh, past disease years ago, and about 30% of my lungs are scar tissue. But I want to tell you something. For me, I trust the Lord and for my wife, and we will be here. But I don't expect others to have to be here because we are. And if God lays it on your heart, that's not the best for us. Man, I'd much rather you would come to me and say, Andy, we can't be here. And we will cover whatever we need to do. What I ask you to do for me is do not go home and sit and talk with yourself or with other people and say, man, Andy shouldn't be there because that's my choice between me and God. And I promise you, if you're not here, I will not judge you for not being here. We are not to judge one another. We are not to allow a virus to become a dividing issue in our church. And so we support one another whatever choice we make. Fear paralyzes, but when we have faith, then we do what we believe God wants us to do, and we act in courage.
and we see God glorified through our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for each person here. I pray that this message has touched all of our hearts and all of our lives. I know it did for me while I was preparing it. Kind of a rush thing that we put together, Father, because of what's going on in America. Man, I, I hear Christians that are paralyzed by what's happening. Somebody said, never let a good crisis go to waste. I, I think as Christians, when we live out our faith, when we live courageously for Jesus Christ, not being foolish, not making foolish decisions, but courageously, Father, we become an example for you. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your Father in heaven. They, they need to see Christ through us, Father, and the faith that we have. And so help us live by faith. Help us live courageously, Father, and not stifled by fear. I pray for our nation. I pray for our leaders. I pray for the decisions that are being made from the president all the way down to our city councils, our leaders in our counties. I pray that they would wisely make decisions for the benefit of the people but not out of fear or out of response from what somebody else is doing. But hopefully if they're Christians in response to you. Thank you, Father. They have a great responsibility, and I know that, and I appreciate their work. Thank you. So bless each person here. And Father, I'm just going to pray that you'd protect them (laughs) health-wise. I pray that uh, we would be protected in our church from this virus and that it would not have a negative impact on who we are and we would see you through this praise you father in jesus name we pray amen